Do Not Be Deceived is the name, title of my message this morning. Um, and I really received some confirmation that uh, this was the one I'm supposed to speak to you because I had two messages put together uh, today. But um, this morning I got up. I don't usually look at Facebook uh, very often, especially on Sunday mornings. And when I got on there, the very first one on there was Bob Stout. And his he had posted something from a friend that said something said the same thing, do not be deceived. And then I scrolled on down a little bit, and my nephew, who pastors a church in Ohio, um, he had an article on, on his website of the same article that I'm going to read a portion of to you this morning uh, concerning the falling away and, being, and not being deceived. So that's what I want to speak to you this morning about, about do not be deceived. Uh, our schedule is this. Uh, obviously, I'm the one speaking this morning. Josh will be speaking uh, next Sunday. The following Sunday is September the 1st. Uh, of course, the night before, Josh will be have doing the, uh, the wedding for uh, Faith Kits. And uh, then he's going to be involved with the rehearsal and all that sort of thing. So I'll go ahead and, and do September uh, 1st again. And then we, and because of the wedding and because of Labor Day weekend, we're going to have our uh, passing of the baton, the changing of the guard, uh, the buck stops here, whatever you want to, however you want to say it. Uh, we're going to have that service uh, September the 8th and looking forward to that. Uh, so that's our schedule. So, you know, I only have really a couple more times of speaking to you on a re regular basis like I do now. Uh, I'll still be speaking uh, maybe once every six, seven, eight weeks, however it works out. We don't have a set schedule, but it'll be something along that lines. But uh, I'm not going to be speaking to you much uh, on a regular basis like I have been. And so I have to get my licks in now. You know... Uh, I, I do have some concern for the body of Christ, uh, the church globally, uh, the church nationally, and even locally, I have concerns. And, you know, even right here within our community and, and uh, more specifically right here at Harmony, I, I have uh, my concerns. And that's just the way it is whenever you are a shepherd. Uh, you're always going to have concerns. It doesn't matter how good it is. There's going to be some things that you wish were different, that maybe had turned out different, or you wish that uh, uh, that you yourself had done differently. And so I, I do struggle with all of that, all of that stuff. Now, this morning, as I share with you, it's really kind of an in-house message, but I want you to hear me this morning. You know, I, I kind of have this prophetic side to me that comes out occasionally. And I do want to sound a warning this morning. I want to instruct you and I want to lead you in the right way. I, I want to speak the truth in love this morning, but I also want to speak directly to some issues. Yeah, you know, I think if you look here and you look wide, there's a lot of waffling taking place. There's a lot of wavering. There's some retracting. I would say that there's a lack of fire in some and there's no fire in some others. And lukewarmness is throughout the church. Not just here, but everywhere. There's a lukewarmness. And so my warning this morning, uh, my concern, my passion, my intent is out of love for you and, and for your good. I hope that even this morning I'll be spurred on myself. Not 
to be deceived. Do not be deceived. Nationally, I don't know if any of you are listening to national news very much, especially national Christian news or not. Um, But about three weeks ago, Josh Harris, how many of you have heard of him? He wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, He wrote that book in 1997. And uh, Jackie and I even made sure that our kids, Brock and and Brittany, uh, read that book and understood that book when it come to dating. And it was a powerfully... uh, popular book and is very well written. About three weeks ago, the author of that book, Josh Harris, uh, renounced his faith. Uh, he uh, separated from his wife, and he wrote an, a, an extensive apology to the LGBTQ community. And you could tell from what he had to say in that, that he has lost his faith. He has wandered, and he has lost what he had. He's been deceived. Marty Sampson, just a week ago, he's the lead singer with uh, one of the lead singers for Hillsong right here. About a week ago, he first renounced his faith, and then he came back and said, well, I really haven't totally lost my faith, but he said that he's wavering in his faith. And then he gave all the things that were going on in his life and the reason that he's wavered and wandered. And there's really a very simple reason as to why this takes place in their lives or in anybody else's lives is because we stray from the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But when you wander from the truth, then you're going to wander and you're going to waffle, you're going to waver in what you believe. Skillet is a highly popular uh, hard rock Christian group. The next picture is John Cooper. He's the front man for Skillet. And uh, he's a strong believer. And he wrote an article concerning this falling away of these two high-profile believers. And I have a lengthy statement. I'm not even going to read all of it to you, but I want to read some of it to you because he hits the nail on the head. And he says this about these ones who have backslidden. It's time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word and to value the teaching of the Word, Cooper wrote. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion, and what we are seeing now is a result of the church raising up influencers who do not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. What he's saying here now is, you know, they once had a strong influence on multitudes of people, but now they're speaking out, telling how that they've fallen away. They no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that He's the only true and living way uh, to salvation. And so now they're teaching something opposite of what they used to. So they're still influencers, only now they are influencing in the negative. He goes on to say, the church, Cooper argued, too often looks to the wrong leaders for biblical guidance. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. 
And yes, that includes people like me, he says of himself. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. Can you see how that's happening in the younger generation? Cooper added, he is stunned when former Christian leaders leave the faith by taking a bold new stance. They are basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led generations of people with my teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people into my next truth. I'm perplexed, he says, why they aren't embarrassed. I am too. Why are they not humbled? Why are they not ashamed? Why are they not fearful? Because they most certainly are confused. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you are heading? Have they considered the ramifications as if they are the harbingers of truth saying, I used to think one way and practice it and preach it, but now I've learned all the new truth and will start practicing and preaching it. So the influencers become the voice for, the, for truth in whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. Do you see how this takes place? Rather than staying founded and grounded in the Word. Now, Cooper did not name Samson, the one I showed earlier, but took issue with his reference to the doctrine of hell. Because he wrote, I, he said, I just read today in a renowned worship leader's statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. Cooper responds by saying, as if he's the first person to ever ask that question. He said, brother, you are not that unique, Cooper wrote. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years, literally. Everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean we are, willing, uh, we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. Now, let me tackle this just for a moment here. Why does a God of love send people to hell? 90% of you in this room know the answer to that. But for those who may not, let me tell you, God sends no one to hell. In fact, hell was not even created for human beings. Hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels. And God in His love and in His mercy and in His compassion for humanity has made it 100% possible for 100% of the people to go to heaven. He did everything through Jesus Christ, through His sacrifice, through His resurrection, and through Him now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He did everything needed for every single person to go to heaven. So if a person goes to hell, it's because they have chosen to go to hell. God did not send you there. It's your choice. And believe me, hell is just as real as heaven. Heaven is going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. We're going to be surrounded by other believers and everything will, every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be gone. It's going to be good, isn't it? 
Amen. But let me tell you, just as real as that is, hell is real, and it's going to be just the opposite. It's going to be total torment and torture every second of every moment. And it's no place to go. And God, as I said, has made every arrangement for you to not go there. But people stray from that truth. So what is Cooper's solution to leaders falling away from faith? He says this, Let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living Word of God. For He changes not. The grass withers and the flower fades away. But the Word of God stands forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. So what I want to go on in the remainder of my time this morning is this. I want to talk about the misnomer of eternal security. I don't know what you believe, but I hope this morning, after I am finished, that you will no longer believe in eternal security. There are many denominations, there are many uh, individuals, there may be someone sitting here this morning that you believe in eternal security. But I don't want you to hang on to eternal security and then go ahead and live whatever kind of life you want to live thinking that it doesn't matter. That's walking on the grace of God. And eternal security is a false doctrine. Those who believe in that adhere to Hebrews 13 and verse 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that true? God will never leave us. He never will forsake us. But that word does not say that we cannot leave Him or that we would not forsake Him because we most certainly can leave Him and forsake Him. Others say that if someone falls away, they were never really saved to begin with. And I'll show you that that is untrue according to the Word of God as we proceed this morning. I don't have much time. You're going to have to listen fast. We need to be people who believe what we read rather than read what we believe. Does that make sense? We need to be people who believe what we read instead of reading this with tinted, tainted, preconceived ideas of how it's supposed to be because of what we've been taught or what we, have, uh, we think that we have revelation on. We just simply need to go by what the Word of God says and nothing else. So we need to read what we believe rather than believe what we read the other way around. <laughs> Having a tinted, tainted lens on tradition, false teaching, or plain air is just that. It's air. We must be God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, obedient followers to the only true and living God, the one and only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, being led by the precious Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You know, we need a, a good dose. Every one of us, including myself, we all need a good dose. We need a healthy fear of the Lord. A proper fear of the Lord. And the Word tells us that the fear of the Lord gives us some things. One, one thing it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Can anybody finish that for me? I heard knowledge. Did I also hear wisdom? You know, it's both. 
There's one place that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 14, 27, it says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. If those two men that I had told you about earlier, if they had stayed in the fear of the Lord, they would not have fallen away. So our attitude towards Scripture um, that we don't understand, how do we handle that? We say, well, I don't understand that particular Scripture, but I do understand that if I fear God, I'm going to receive knowledge. And I know that if I fear God, I'm going to receive wisdom. And so I know as I continue to search through this Word, wisdom and knowledge is going to come upon me about His Word, and revelation is going to come to me, and I'm going to eventually understand it. We should never have the attitude, oh, I can never understand that. God, by the revelation through His Holy Spirit, will reveal this Word to you. It may not happen in a week. It may not happen in a year. But it will happen in your lifetime as you continue to seek after Him. In Matthew 7, 21, I have a whole lot of Scriptures to go over. 21, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now you think, how can someone do all of these things and then have this next verse? And then I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How can that be? Do you remember, well, let me first say, these people here who are casting out devils, who are doing great and mighty things in, in Jesus' name, they are believers. They have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. It has to be a believer because non-believers don't do these things. Do you remember the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19? These seven sons were trying to cast out demons. And the demon spoke back to them and he said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? They were unbelievers. They could not cast them out. It's believers that do these things. So what's he saying here whenever he says, I never knew you? The word knew here is intimately. In Genesis chapter 3, the word says, and Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That word knew means intimately knew who you were. There are believers everywhere who still, that's why we are passionate here at Harmony, why I'm passionate about it, Pastor Josh is passionate about it, about getting us intimately involved with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. Our, our, our Savior and our Heavenly Father. We want you to be passionate about it. We want you to intimately know who He is. Quit messing around with the stuff in the world and be intimate with the only true and living God. Hallelujah. Because He is saying here, I did not intimately know you. Depart from me. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 3 says, But if anyone loves God... This one is known 
by him. This one who loves God, those who love God, intimately know me and have an intimate relationship with me. The Amplified says this, of 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if anyone loves God with an awe-filled reverence, obedience, and gratitude, he is known by him as his very own and is greatly loved. Do you see the relationship there? How deep that relationship is? So when the word says, I never knew you, it's referring to, I don't know you intimately. Intimacy produces obedience. In 1 John 5, 3, it says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Intimacy produces obedience. In Ezekiel 18, 24, this is an astounding verse. It says this, But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? Now this isn't talking about a person who just uh, accidentally sins or who kind of nonchalantly sins. This is talking about a person who really turns their life back over to sin. You see that? It says, according to the abominations. This is a person who does away with their faith. Will he live at the righteousness, or all the righteousness which he has done, shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. God has made himself capable of forgetting. In Hebrews chapter 8, it says that God will remember their sins no more. Aren't you glad that He remembers our sins no more? Hallelujah. But He also says that if you are righteous and then you go and you become unrighteous, your righteousness will be forgotten. That's shocking to me. That puts the fear of God in me. However, hallelujah, the same is true for righteousness, and you stay righteous, those things He will remember. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible records eight times concerning the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. In Philippians 4, and verse 3, it says, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. In Revelations 20 and verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a believer. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a situation right here where I'm going to show you how that eternal security is not true. In Revelations 3, 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out the Amplified says, erase, I will not erase his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. How many of you know if it's ever going to be blotted out, it has to have first been there? So that means when you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is put into the Lamb's book of life, but it can be blotted out. So that right there tells you that eternal security is not true. So if a name can be blotted out or erased, that means that it had to have been there. 2 Peter 2, 
20 and 21, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in other words, they have become a believer, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Do you see here how eternal security is not true? Verse 21, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. He's saying here, if you come into the goodness of God and then you get entangled back into the world and you fall away, you've renounced your your faith, you've given up on your faith, you've fallen back into those old ways, it would have been better for you to have never, ever have come into the knowledge to begin with. Pretty serious stuff. In Jude, where you want to read a, it's just one chapter. Boy, he talks about this a lot. In verse 3 and verse 12 and 13, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Then Jude, he goes on, he talks about why we need to contend for the faith and against who we are contending. He says in verse 12, These are spots in your love feasts, which they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water. In other words, they look the part, but they have no substance. Carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Late autumn trees are supposed to have fruit. And we are people who, they know us by our fruit. Hallelujah. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now I want us to focus in here just for a moment about this statement that says twice dead. How can someone be twice dead? This is talking about spiritually. You and I were all born into a sinful world. We were born dead in our sins. So that's the first death. The second dead to die twice is to come into life of knowing Jesus Christ, and then falling away from that, you've died a second time. This is serious. You know, the worst punishment in the lake of fire will be for those who once tasted of the goodness of God and then permanently fell away. If you're in a fallen state this morning, today's the time to repent and come back. Return to your first love, as the Word says. Come back. He's gracious. He's good. He will bring you back into the fold. Hallelujah. Let me read one more verse. I have a bunch. It says this in Luke 12. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. That's the obedient servant. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the believers, with the unbelievers, I'm sorry. He's going to appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, 
shall be beaten with many stripes. Do you see how there can be a falling away of the believers where you are no longer in the fold? Here's our do not deceive verse. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. I think we're in a time where we're seeing a great falling away. And I want to determine in myself that I'm not going to be part of that statistic. And I want you to do the same thing. I want you to determine you will not allow yourself to be pulled away, to get entangled back into the world again, to enter back into that old life. Behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. Amen? Let those old things pass away. Let those things go. Don't get entangled back. And it, it can be some of the simplest little things that can begin to allow you to get entangled back into the world again. But say, no, I'm going to live righteously before God. I'm going to be holy before Him. I'm going to be pleasing to Him. I'm going to fear God in a healthy way and respect who He is and honor Him. Several weeks ago, I talked about the greatest way to worship is to be obedient. Hallelujah. Once again, Paul, if you'll come, we're just going to spend a moment here. If there's someone here this morning, you know that you need to repent and you need to come back to the fold. You know that you've fallen away. That you're not where you should be. That you've been messing around maybe in some areas and doing some things that you know you shouldn't be. Don't you know we have a loving Father? We have a gracious God. And He is standing there with open arms waiting to take you back in. I don't want anyone to be lost. And it's even worse for someone to have gotten saved and then to lose it once again. So we're going to take a moment. The first step of repentance is humbling yourself. And it may may be a humbling experience for you this morning to stand up and to come down here this morning and say, I need what you're talking about. I have fallen away and I need to return. That's going to be a humbling thing for you. But God blesses the humble. He loves those who will humble themselves. In fact, He says, if you don't humble yourself, you will be humbled. So humble yourself this morning. If you are in need of prayer this morning because you have fallen away, right now I want you to come forward here and I want to have a prayer over you. I'm caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to here for blessings Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do 
I just want you. I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I'm caught up in your presence, I just want to sit here up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, I bless you for today. I would pray that every individual and all of us corporately will have hearts on fire, a passion 
for what you're doing in the land, for what you're doing in us individually. I bless you and I give you the praise, Father. I look forward to some great praise reports in the future. What you're doing. Glory. May you be glorified. May you be high and lifted up. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. But there is a point where we can cross over the threshold. I thank you for those this morning that have returned. And your grace endures forever. In Jesus' mighty name, we glorify you. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next time.